Well, we're actually having a show, and it's the news, according to me. Well, good good Thursday morning. It is 9.32 Central Time, uh, 10.32 Eastern Time. I am in Central Time right now. I'm, I'm in St. Louis, as I said I would be this morning. I have to get out of here in a few hours, but I'm going to be uh, leave for this afternoon. However, um, the uh, I do have uh, some time this morning to talk about this this uh, fellow named Norman Finkelstein, and he's the, supposedly this expert who kind of embodies, in my opinion, he kind of has the <clears throat> the the lay of the land, if you will, the the narrative, the the typical propaganda, in my opinion. That the the left and the the academics go with, and I'm going to go over some of the numbers that he portrays in this particular uh, segment. He was he's being interviewed by by Jimmy Dore. It's actually on the Jimmy Dore show. It's not Jimmy Dore's interviewing. It's, it's another guy. And I hope this plays through okay because I, I'm not sure if it's going to work or not with the speaker system. I'm oh, sorry, my microphone noise. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to it's going to come through very well, but I'm going to try to try to make it happen. So we'll see how this works. Now he, um, he he makes some some what he calls point of facts about about Gaza, and I want to talk about some of these things that he says because it's it's very important that we have a critical objective mind here as we're listening to these these things. People tout statistics a lot, and without even examining the statistics to see whether they're real or not, all we have to do is is compare them to normal situations and see if their the statistics are even valid. On their own face, if they're even possible. Now, uh, <clears throat> the I'm going to compare compare what he's saying here with some other you know normal statistics and things that you know viability of some things, and, and see how this works out. And just just in terms of he just splatters out these these uh, these statistics in a way that, in fact, even leaves the person who's one of the interviewers. They say they kind of have a a caution, or not really a caution, just kind of an almost a, an air of disbelief, like really. And I'm going to get I'm going to get into that and how what that's what that's like a little bit. So we're going to be uh, hopefully I don't have any background noise. I've been in this, this hotel room this morning. Hopefully, so hopefully it's not too bad. Now there is fan noise from the computer, unfortunately. But the, um, the we're going to go ahead and try to get this uh, get this solved here a little bit. Now, so here here we go. We're going to we're going to try to play this interview. Now, this is, this is about three minutes into the, the, the video <clears throat> that he has with, with Jimmy Dore. And uh, it's Norman Finkelstein. He's going to explain his his take on some of these things. So let's, let's go with this. <clears throat> Before I get to the history, I want to situate Gaza. The basic facts. Every time you hear the word Gaza, these are the facts that should these lead the to the forefront of your mind. Number one, 70% of the population of Gaza consists of refugees and descendants of refugees from the 1948 war, the course of which Israel was created. We'll, we'll come back to this. So he, he says 70%, let's get this, let's write, I want to take notes here, 70% of the people in Gaza are refugees or the descendants of refugees from 1948. 1948. This is 2023. 
90% or he says 70% uh, of the people there are refugees from that war in 1948, which was, it wasn't a war, it was, it was basically a, uh, the UN basically came in and said that they were going to give Israel this land. And they expelled a bunch of these Palestinians. There was a reason why they expelled them, but we'll get into all that, all that. But let's just, they're calling them refugees or the descendants of refugees. That term has a particular trigger in most people's minds. So let's, let's keep that in mind. Now here he goes, he goes on with a little bit more statistics. Let's talk about this a little bit more. Palestinians were expelled from the state of Israel. <laughs> Roughly 290,000 of those 750,000 ended up in Gaza. So the population of Gaza, which now stands at approximately 2.1 million people. Okay. So there are 2.1 million people in Gaza. 290,000 of the refugees that landed in Gaza now make up 70% of the population. Um, because they're, they're not just refugees, they're refugees and descendants of refugees. You have to understand what this whole dynamic that he's trying to portray here. Because they're still refugees, because they're descendants of refugees. I am a descendant of, a, of an indentured servant who was kidnapped and brought to this country. Does that leave me in a bad situation? Should I, should I ask for reparations for that? Because the kidnapper had nothing, he's not alive anymore. I don't know what his family is doing, I have no idea. It's, I mean, it, but how does this, how does this, how does this uh, relate to anything 50 years later? That's 80 years later. <clears throat> Keep that in mind. So let's, let's continue here. Seventy percent of that population are refugees or descendants of refugees. Of those 290,000. At number two, whenever you hear the word Gaza, remember, one half of the population of Gaza consists of children. So whenever you hear these diabolical plans being cooped up by Israel. Bear in mind the objects of those plans are one million or more children. Now, <clears throat> first of all, there's two million, two point. He says there's two point one million people there. Statistics, all the statistics I looked at. Everything I could find on the population of Gaza was under 2 million. I, so I'm not sure exactly where he's getting the 2.1 million unless there's a lot of, uh, unless he's got some kind of information I, I don't know about. But they're, they're not counting somebody in the census. I don't know how that works. I don't know how it works. Now, half the population is children. I don't know how he defines children. Is that under the age of 30? The, the, that's, first of all, um, I'm just, just going to dive right into this. We're, we're making this claim. It really set off some, some triggers in, in I've, I've never heard of a country that half of its population, even a city, anything, where half of its population are children. That, that's, that's amazing to me. I, I, can't, I can't fathom that. It just, it, so I started looking around at, at statistics in terms of populations around the globe, in terms of countries and, and societies. The normal 
range of children, at least under the age of 18, that's if I'm calling everybody under the age of 18 children, that, that number, and keep in mind, those children are recruited to fight by Hamas because they're told that the, the enemy, the one that's keeping them down, their, their oppressor, is Israel, not Hamas. We're, we're getting into that in a little bit. It's, it's one of those things where this whole thing is, is absolutely disgusting when you start, start thinking about how it's, it's all being played out, how they are being played. The people of Gaza, the Palestinians, are being played by their leadership, which you know happens in every, every country, but it's just it's hideous the way it's happening. So half the populace, the normal range of children in most countries, in most societies, in most cities, is, you know, my thought was, well, it should be about 30%. And I, but I, so, I, so I looked it up. I started looking around at a lot of different countries, a lot of different places. Sure enough, the number in the, in the United States, the number of people under the age of 18 is 22, uh, is 22%. The most I can find in most countries is about 30, 31 to 32 percent. And that's that's in uh, areas and societies where we actually make the count. Now, either a large majority of, of, the, of the population, the elderly or whatever, has been wiped out or something that weird, weird has happened and you know, cataclysmic has happened. This doesn't happen. Children. Half of the population is children. And they're refugees and children. Now, think of these trigger words. So we're attacking, so now Israel is attacking children. And they're attacking uh, refugees. These poor, these poor refugees who were kicked out of the country when Israel took, you know, took their state, took their, took their land. This is the, the typical... Uh, very typical kind of uh, rhetoric. I'm going to call it rhetoric because it is. It doesn't make any sense. How are they defining children? What's, what's your definition of a child here? Because this is this doesn't make any sense at all. Now, we so we go from this. Now he's going to also talk about the, the size of Gaza, and I've heard a lot of different, a lot of different. Uh, size issues here. Uh, some people saying that it's there's just a lot of discrepancy on what, what I'm hearing. It's, it's, this guy gives it the impression that it's very small. Other, other people give me the impression it's about twice the size of what he's, what he's saying. But uh, we'll, we'll go on with this and see what's, see what's happening here. Fact number three. Gaza is among the most densely populated places on God's earth. It's more densely populated than Tokyo. Really? See, he says, really? He's, this, he's having a hard time believing this. Um, it's, it's more densely populated than Tokyo. One of the most densely populated places on Earth. Uh, he doesn't say anything about India. There are some very densely populated places in India that I would say are probably more densely populated than that. And it's uh, when you look at the size of New York, for example, and how many people are there? Um, what we're talking about, it, it's, he's, this fact, fact number three, he always says, this fact, fact number three, 
Uh, it, he's not giving us any references to any studies, any 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 sense of any 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 data. It's just stuff he's saying, and th this bothers me when people don't give any kind of reference at all or any kind of understanding of a study. This is not an objective report. This guy is very subjective in what he's saying, and yet he's a highly respected man. He just, but he's, he makes these statements, and nobody nobody checks him on any of this stuff. But his own math doesn't add up, which is what's really bothering me. Just in my own head, I'm listening to everything he's saying. It just doesn't make any sense. It, it, there's probably some truth to what he's saying, but it's been widely exaggerated is the problem. And this, this just discredits him, in my opinion. And unfortunately, something that needs credibility is not getting credibility because he's just discrediting himself as he goes. But let's, let's, let's continue to go here. Yes. Wow. Raza, believe it or not, its dimensions are five miles... By 25 miles. What is that? Believe it or not, and I don't believe it because I'm hearing others, others, almost everywhere else. I'm hearing that this is not the case. It's much wider. It's much more wider than five miles. I think it's at, at its narrowest point. It's five miles, and it's over 25 miles long. So it, there, there's there's some issues here of how how big it actually is, and we'll get into a little bit more of this in a little bit. Gaza. 
States and the EU. What does that blockade mean in practice? Oh, forgive me. Okay, I want to. I want to back up here for just a second. One of the things he said about, about Gaza itself, and I did, did some just some basic math here while we were listening. He, he says that, of course, he says Gaza is 25 by 5. That's, that's 125 square miles. The city of New York is about 300 square miles, so a little bit more than twice the size. Now, if you go by his, his directions, 2, two million people in, in that, that amount of space, that ends up being about 5 million people per, you know, equivalent of, uh, uh, there's 8 million people in New York City in a 300 square mile area. 300 square miles, eight, over 8 million people, over 8 million people. If you count the actual statistics that I'm looking at everywhere else, there's, there's closer to 250 square miles in Gaza. And that's much closer to the 300 square miles, and there's too many people there. It's put, according to his numbers, uh, everybody else says it's just under 2 million. So even taking his numbers here and saying it's one of the most densely populated places on Earth, uh, I, I can name you probably 50 cities. He says more, more, more densely populated than Tokyo. No, it's not. It's not. If you do the math on that, just do some simple math. People just are just taking his word for it. Now, that's if his numbers are correct. If his numbers are off, if he's even skewing his numbers at all, then it's even less than that, way less than, than his... Than his and even his proclamation here is wrong on its face, let alone the fact that it's even less than what he says which is even worse. This is the kind of credibility issue that, that we run into with, with people like this when you come in, where he just sits in front of a camera, he looks like he's in his den being interviewed and just going off, just spouting off these numbers. Because somebody has these numbers in their head, we're supposed to just believe in him because he's, he's maybe has a master's degree or he's taught in some college. I guess he's, he's been a professor at Rutgers or wherever he's been. This is, this is academia and he probably learned this from somebody else. Who is just making up numbers? The left does this all the time. Now the GOP does it as well, but the left does this consistently. They just make stuff up because it feels right. So let's go on with this thing now. He's, he's talking a little bit about the whole thing with Gaza and how they became, how Hamas came into power, how um, some of these things happened, and then and we're going to get into a little bit more into uh, the whole issue of what happened. What happened here with? He the, the, calls it an open-air prison, and we're going to get into that a little bit. That's, that really bothers me. I'm repeating myself. Unless these basic facts are understood, <coughs> everything that's happened in the past couple of days will be a mystery. So, let's bear in mind, we're talking about one million children. We're talking about a population that's overwhelmingly refugees. So he goes back over that because he's, he's trying to make his point here. So we're talking about half the population is children, half the population, or 70% of the population is refugees. Again. this blockade on Gaza. One half of the population, <coughs> and this has been consistent since 2006, 
This is the first he's mentioned anywhere where he gets his data. Humanitarian reports. That's where he's getting this. Now let's let's continue on here. Talking about roughly twenty years, two decades, and if you look at that period, half the population of Gaza is unemployed. Half the population of Gaza is unemployed. So half the population are children. And half the population are unemployed. Now, I don't know if he's counting the children as unemployed. Is the other half, or is half of the working population unemployed? He's not specific on this. I looked up some per capita information, just uh, sources that are basically from, uh, uh, what was it called? Uh, I don't have it with me now in front of me. Sorry. Uh, what the source was from. But I, did, I just Googled it. I just Googled it, and it came up with several different uh, estimates from different different places. It was like five, five different places. All had the same numbers. The average daily income in Gaza is $113 a day. $113 a day. Average. That's more than a third world country, typically. That's, you know, that's over $500 a week. And I don't know what the cost of living is there. I know that, I know that food is, is a problem there which it shouldn't be, and we'll get into that a little bit as well. But here we have this issue of half the population now is unemployed. Half the population is children. 70% are refugees or descendants of refugees. You see where he's coming up with this, this information. It's overwhelming. And yet, we'll get on, we'll go on with this a little bit. Among the youth, are 60%. Among the youth, 60% are unemployed. If I'm not mistaken, that's the highest unemployment rate of any area in the world. 60% of the youth are unemployed. Number two, nobody, barring the rarest exceptions, nobody can go into Gaza and nobody can leave Gaza. This is BS. Nobody can get in and nobody can get out. This is baloney. Let's let's talk a little bit. But let's keep on going with this because I think he, I think he, nobody can go in. Nobody can leave. He's making this very emphatic. When you look at those young men who breached the peace of Gaza this past couple of days ago. Most of those people, if not all, most if not all, have never seen anything in their lives except that five mile wide by twenty five mile long. They've never been outside of Gaza. This was their first time free. Now, having said that. It's not altogether a surprise that even the UK's conservative Prime Minister, David Cameron, he described Gaza as, quote, an open-air prison. Now, an open-air prison. The, one of Israel's leading sociologists, 
That's before 2006. Let's talk about the blockade. He described Gaza. I'm holding up the book now and I'm reading from page 169. The book is entitled Politicide, Ariel Sharon's War Against the Palestinians. And Baruch Kimmerling, who's the author, he describes Gaza as the largest concentration camp ever to exist. The largest concentration camp now it's a concentration camp. Open-air prison, concentration so, camp. The bottom line is <clears throat> that the population of Gaza has been trapped. And in half the cases, believe it or not, they were born into a concentration camp. Half the cases. From their birth to their childhood. Again, so we're talking to about a million their people. Youth, to their adulthood. The only thing they've experienced is a concentration camp. Currently, currently, half the population is classified by international humanitarian organizations. It's classified as suffering from, quote, severe food insecurity. Severe food insecurity. Okay, this was, the, this was the whole thing. Now, let's discuss some of the things he said here, because I think it's very critical that we understand the ridiculous nature of his and he quotes these things as if it's just fact and you're supposed to believe him and everybody's sitting there just soaking it up. And this is what happens in classrooms around our country when these professors say these kinds of things. It's the same, it's the same scenario. They just sit up there and, and rattle these facts off. These facts, they're facts. To kids who have no, they just have skulls of mush and they don't, they don't have the ability to critically think about anything, to be skeptical which is a scientific process. Be a skeptic, ask some questions, do some math. It doesn't make sense. Is the situation in Gaza bad? Absolutely it is. It absolutely is. I would hate to, I would hate to live in that kind of situation. I don't know what I would be doing if I was living in that kind of situation. I, however, I would not be supporting Hamas. Maybe you wouldn't have a choice. But the situation is, is sickening in that Hamas uses this whole thing, as I've said before, to to be the, the one that you need to look up to, the rescuer. We're going to save you. We're going to go fight back against them. You know, and this is what happens. You, you, you fight back like this. You, get, you become... And actually, the word Hamas, most people don't... I don't know this. I don't understand language. I'm not a language. I'm not a linguist. But I do know that the word Hamas in Hebrew means violence. Now they might say it means rebels. I don't know. I don't know what they might say. They might say it means uprising or whatever. What do they say? Um, but it's it's interesting that it does mean that. Now this stop and think about a few things. So we have this concentration camp that nobody can get in or get out, of. and yet somehow there's a question looming in my mind: 
how many missiles have been fired into Israel from Gaza? And how did those missiles get into Gaza? And yet nobody can get in or out. It's a concentration camp. It's an open-air prison. Well, I don't know, I haven't seen too many prisons that have been able to shoot millions and millions of dollars worth of missiles. Some of them quite sophisticated now. They're, they're, they're not just Scud missiles anymore. There's, there, there's some of them that are actually guided missiles. Where'd those come from? Where'd those cost? And why couldn't they just... They're suffering from severe food issues. It's insecurity, food insecurity. Uh, well, then, why don't you, instead of buying missiles, why don't we send them... Why, why doesn't someone send them food instead of missiles? Why doesn't someone make Gaza a place... Instead of spending all this money on all this war against Israel, turn those funds and those efforts and those all of those things into... Gaza is, is a beautiful... It could be a beautiful place. It's, it's, on the, it's on the coast. It could be a recreational resort that would make everything else pale in comparison. They could turn it into the vacation capital of the world if they wanted to, with the amount of money they're spending on missiles and rebuilding things after they get destroyed because of the way Hamas is doing things. There's no reason for it. The amount of aid that goes into that, into that small strip of land is amazing. And it gets funneled into Hamas. Now, there's a couple things. Uh, one other thing I want to do, is, and that is the issue of everybody's saying, well, what, what, why didn't Israel know this was happening, about to happen? Why, didn't, why did they stop this? Because their, their intelligence and their, their surveillance, their, their, you know, it's second to none. The U.S. intelligence and the Israeli intelligence. There's no way this could have happened without them knowing. Well, I, I kind of have to agree with that. Um, however, that doesn't it, it's, it's, it doesn't put the blame on Israel. It doesn't put the blame on anybody else, but the people who did it. Now, they know they were planning something, probably. Now, let's get back to this blockade. First, I want to cover one other thing about the blockade. He's calling it the blockade. It's the blockade. Well, it, Gaza used to be occupied by Israel. Israel used to be the, the governing agency there in Gaza. They were the overseers. They were the law. They were the uh, the purveyors of. They, they, were, they were the police. They were there, they were the ones who were there to keep the peace in Gaza. And they were considered occupiers at that point. So they got out. But they left them to, to themselves. Okay, you can cover them yourselves now. And they put up a wall. They put up, basically this is where, where the occupation, or the uh, blockade came in. So there's no, they're, no, they're no longer occupied by Israel. They're allowed to govern themselves. And for some reason, nobody around them wants them there. Wants, wants to take them in. There's a lot of complicated politics going on here. At the same time, it is being used as a proxy to go after Israel. 
which puts Israel in the bully position of anything that they do to, to take out Hamas or anybody, anything that they do there, is considered a, makes Israel be, be the bad guy. Now, the money that was spent in shooting all these missiles, and they're still firing missiles, by the way. Missiles haven't stopped. I guess the U.S. today has, has now vowed to replenish and rebuild their Iron Dome. I, I don't know why that's our responsibility. I, again, I, whatever. So I'd rather kind of see a defensive weapon being, being funded by us than to have all the other things that are going on in the world and what sorts of other things we're spending money on, but that's that's not the point. Is, is this another case of here we go, just hundred percent we have to go, you know, back this up because it's you know we're emotionally tied here. So I, I just want I want to, to have this be a lesson in not, not so much that I'm out to show this guy out to be a fraud. He probably genuinely believes the things he's saying. However, I, I, I want to, this to be a lesson in basic critical thinking, or at least skeptic thinking. Be skeptical about some of the things that people are saying. Because sometimes the math just doesn't add up. There are things that happened on 9-11 that are very questionable, very, uh, and, and they can be debatable about some, some of the things that happened. However, when you see people going off the fringe, off the edge, over the, beyond the pale on some of the things they will say about the conspiracy that happened on 9-11, it gets to the point where it's almost offensive. Because to draw the conclusions that some people are drawing means that they start to get to the point where it's the pilots were involved. This is, how, this is how far they get to go. The flight crews were involved in this whole thing. But there were passengers that were involved in this whole thing. But the airlines were complicit in what happened. It, it's ridiculous how far they go with some of this stuff. There, there are people, I've seen videos of these armchair experts who will say, oh look, here you can see where this airplane was heading towards the towers and it shot a missile before it got to the tower." Really? Like some of the things I've, I've seen, and this was back you know, 20 years ago, when some of these things were plastered all over the internet and YouTube wasn't censoring anybody. They were pathetic. Some of these, some of these things were pathetic. Same thing happens today, but now the, the deep fakes are even much better than they were. Some of the things I've seen generated by computer models lately have been, I, I thought it was, there's this guy who does, does car crashes, tests all kinds of car manufacturers with a simulation. When I first saw it, I thought it was real. I thought these cars were actually being crashed. They weren't. It was, a, it was a, all the simulation based on how the car was designed. It wasn't real world, which you have to do real world, world testing because you don't know. That little emblem you put on the dashboard is going to fly up and hit everybody's eye every time it crashes. Right? You, just, you never know until you, the simulation can all look good, but it's, this is you have to have a real world test. And this is the kind of thing that we see in the deep fake industry now. 
we're not going to be sure what to believe. You know, so it's, it's ridiculous. So as we move forward with this, I, I want to I want to talk a little bit about the, the issue of, of intelligence and whether or not they knew that this was going to happen. Now, supposedly there were some issues with the intelligence issue being uh, taken out for a short period of time. Um, it, it does not excuse what happened. It does not excuse these barbarians coming across the border, doing what they did, and the things that are happening there right now. Um, it, it, it's, it is atrocious. And of course, the world is seeing and hearing a lot of what's going on. And in the process, they're, they're, they're indiscriminately. Just imagine if, if Israel did not have the Iron Dome, and 5,000 missiles would have dropped down upon them from Gaza. How many people would have been killed? It would have been just outrageous. And of course, they use hospitals and schools, places of, of, of uh, residential areas, to shoot off missiles so that Israel can't strike back. Of course, they give them warning. I don't know that Hamas gave anybody warning when they came in and started doing what they did in Israel. So, you know, the response needs to be proper. At the same time, it, it makes me wonder, did they do this? There, there's a term in, in Israel, it's among some of the leaders there, among, among the military. They call it mowing the lawn. Every few years, they need to get into a conflict with Hamas or with, with Gaza, the people who are running it, so they can basically go, it gives them the, the ability to go in and basically tear down, take out all the infrastructure that's been built up, all the weapons, all the caches, and just basically hit them really hard, kind of, kind of set, set them back 10 years. And then they, they let it go again, they, they build up, you know, every time they build it up again, when you look at Gaza, Gaza is not just a flat, barren land. It is. It is. There's high rises there. There's there's you know, large buildings. Um, it's, it is not just a, a desert, a prison, a concentration camp, as he's talking about. People obviously are getting in and out. Who's 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 training these fighters? Where are they getting their information? Who is uh, equipping them? How are guns getting in and out? How are missiles getting in and out? How do powered parachutes are getting in and out? Obviously, there's a shipping in, in industry in and out of that, that country that's far, by far and large. It's large. These missiles aren't tiny. Don't just you know, stick them in your baggage across the line so it you have to ask yourself some of these questions it's like well what what what, what else would have they done well what were their options did they have options of hey you want to send us missiles no just send us food we need we need just food education we need some people to come in and teach some courses on maybe entrepreneurship and how to build our economy what we're going to do this on our own we're going to have leadership is just not focused on taking out israel because then what? What if Israel went, went away today? Then what would they do then? 
everywhere. There's people who want, want to be in power. It's very uh, disturbing, uh, to say the least, in terms of really what people of Gaza need to be set free from Hamas. They need to be set free from their fear. And they need to be set free from this crazy ideology that, in my opinion, is the same. The enemy does the same thing all over the world. Marginalizes a group, uh, uh, has convinces people that they are marginalized, and then he comes in and, uh, of course, convinces them that they, they need a savior, and that savior is this one who's going to lead them, keep keep this, this savior in, in, in the, these, these rebel, rebels that fight back it's the oppressor. So it's it's a, a twisted situation. One that we need to continue to pray for. And um, so we will pray. And we will continue to pray for each other, pray for wisdom, pray for our eyes to be open, our understanding to be open for, for the leadership of this country and our nation, and for our religious leaders to understand what's happening. And to have the right words and the truth to be able to be spoken. And if that would just fall on deaf ears, but the truth would be not just spoken, but also heard. So, as we move forward, uh, I will have a show tomorrow from Boston. Boston. And uh, today I have my sweet tea in my thermos. But tomorrow, try to find sweet tea in Boston. It's, it, it, it's possible, but it's... Hopefully there's a Chick-fil-A there. I can probably get stuff there. We're getting kind of late tonight. Um, they're kind of late tonight. I'll be there in the morning. Though. So I'll be uh, having a show in the morning. Hopefully uh, pretty early actually tomorrow morning. Though, because uh, it's kind of a long day tomorrow. Actually. Uh, let's see how that goes. But... Tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow. Tomorrow's the long day. So anyway. Once again, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Appreciate you uh, being a part of this little adventure and uh, understanding what's going on. And we'll, we'll figure it out together. God bless everybody. Have a great day.